And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully, you guys had a fantastic Fourth of July weekend. Uh, great show for you today. I was joined by my friend Reed Cooley. Always a great time talking to Reed. Uh, we discussed uh, the Democrats' obsession with alienating everybody outside of the fringe left. Uh, we talked about some abysmal uh, poll numbers that came out over the weekend for the Democrats. Um, we talked about, once again, how uh, Ron Paul was right about everything, um, and a bunch of other stuff. We covered a lot. I think you guys will enjoy it. Before I get to read, guys, if you haven't already, uh, please follow us on Twitter at NoGimmicksPod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to subscribe, and if you want to support the show monthly, you can do so over on Patreon, patreon.com slash the No Gimmicks Podcast. And if you can't afford to do that, another way you can help us is by going over to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and a good review. I'd really appreciate that. All right, without further ado, the great Reed Cooley. All right, guys, we're here with my brother, Reed Cooley. Reed, how you been, man? Fantastic, man. How about yourself? Can't complain. Can't complain. You know, I could, but I won't. Won't complain. Not today. Um... So, dude, as always, um, we have a ton to get to. And, like, you know, we usually, we're usually talking about, like, radical liberty policy, you know, anytime you're on. Um, we're, we're, we're pretty close to each other in, in terms of our political philosophy, I think. We're pretty radical. Uh, but I kind of want to take our, like, libertarian hats off for a second and just do some, like, general political commentary. Just comment on just the nonsense that we're seeing in front of us, because I think that's kind of fun to do as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But I want to start with something that really struck me as hilarious yesterday, and it was Joe Rogan. Um, he, uh, he he made the comment that he's turned down. Donald, Donald Trump has wanted to do his podcast multiple times, and he keeps you know turning them down. And one, like we can talk about it in a second, but how boss of a move that is for right. a podcaster to be like, yeah, man, I don't, I'm so rich and successful, I don't even need an episode that would do more business than the Super Bowl. <laughs> like, dude, like, I think we can both aspire to be as successful in life that we could just turn down, like, I don't know. I don't know how much ad revenue he'd make for that podcast, but, like, tens of millions of dollars. You'd have to assume. You know what I mean? It would be like, it would make Game of Thrones look like, you know, child's play. Yeah, but, yeah, exactly. But but the funniest thing was the Democrats were shocked by this, um, that, that he wasn't going to, like, endorse Trump or interview Trump. And it's like, one, you're only shocked if you have never listened to to his podcast. I mean, these people are so isolated in their little airtight bubble yeah. and, and they just, they, they have no idea what's going on. So it's like, I mean, if, if anybody that's ever listened to his podcast, they know that Rogan's no Trump supporter or right winger, but the left right. ties everything. They don't like to Trump. So they, they view the entire world through this like simplistic childlike lens of like Trump versus not Trump. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, According to the people you're you're describing here, even Tim Pool is some kind of like alt right white right. supremacist, whatever else. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's pro-choice, supports universal health care, uh, has you know just a, a litany of progressive views on different things, right? I haven't seen this many you know attacks of that sort hurled at Jimmy Dore yet. You know that could be coming. Oh, it will. Uh, they, you know, it's, it's yeah, coming. It, it's coming. Like if, if if that guy stays as as principled as he has been. Um, you know, over the last several months, like I think it was right at, right at about a year ago, he actually had a booga boy on his show. Right. 
And uh, he was like, oh, my God. So you're telling me that, that, uh, that the Boogaloo movement, despite what I've been told by the left, actually believes in, uh, you know, gay rights and blah, blah, blah. And, and Jimmy Dore was just shocked by this. Right. So, so Jimmy <laughs> Dore has really become a part of what I call the insurgent left. He's, he's been situated more firmly in that, I would say, maybe over the last year or so. Hard to pinpoint exactly when, you know, the beginning of that might have been. But, uh, you know, the, the mob's going to come for Jimmy Dore soon. They've been going after Tim Poole. I mean, Tim Poole, despite being, you know, very, you know, I would say firmly left of center on most things, except for like, you know, the, the stupid things like cancel culture and stuff like that. He's he's a complete pariah to the left. These people don't understand Joe Rogan, right? You know, they think that Joe Rogan, he's just this, he's a guy who invites the, these alt-right white supremacists like Alex Jones and Jordan Peterson onto his show. And therefore he must be a bad guy for giving a voice to, to bad people. But um, these people just don't understand Joe Rogan. But uh, yeah, I mean, I agree with you that it's, it's an absolute, you know, so-called boss move for, for Joe Rogan to do this. I mean, it takes serious balls to look at the president of the United States and say, no, I don't need you on my show. Like most podcasters I know, <laughs> yourself included, if you had, if you could have a president or a former president on your show, even if it's Jimmy Carter, okay, Republican or Democrat, you would, you wouldn't turn down that opportunity, right? Um, but Joe Rogan just kind of snubs it. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't want to help him. You know, not a big deal. But there's another question that has to be posited here. And that's that, do you think that there's a part of Joe Rogan that actually might want to placate, not, 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 not the cultural, you know, crazy unhinged left, but, you know, that sort of like insurgent left that's still, you know, very much against Trump, but on maybe different sorts of grounds than the sort of, you know, more unhinged, insane left is. You think there's actually a part of Joe Rogan that wants to placate a certain amount of people, perhaps who are to the left of center? And maybe maybe that's part of why he's he, he's turning down Trump here. Maybe. I mean, he has Dave Smith on all the time. He has Ben Shapiro on all the time. He's had, you know, he, like he, I mean, he's had uh, Michael Malice on all the time from like the anarchists to like the mainline conservatives. I mean, it's like any of those guys, I mean, you know. That are going to say a lot more offensive things to the left than Donald Trump would. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So it's like, I don't know. Like it's uh, But Donald Trump's very existence is more right, offensive to right, the left than exactly. anything that Ben Shapiro or Dave exactly. Smith or Michael Malice could say. Yeah, exactly. I, I just think it's such a bizarre... I just think they're they're missing the mark so badly by mm -hmm. trying to galvanize... Like, they're, trying, they're going to end up galvanizing the entire country against them. You know, like, it's such a ridiculous electoral strategy. Like, they've labeled everyone from Joe Manchin and Joe Rogan to Glenn Greenwald and Tim Pool to radicals like you and me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. we're, all, we're all in the same boat. <laughs> you know what I mean? They, they called Joe Rogan a radical. Like, no, like, I'm a radical. You know what I mean? Like, I want to be able right. to own an F-18 Super Hornet. You know what I mean? Like, I want to, you know, end the Fed, end the war. Come on, recreational nukes, Recreational nukes. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, man. I want a tactical <laughs> nuke in my basement. You know what I mean? Just, in, just yeah. save it for a rainy day, you know? Like, I'm a peace radical. Peace through strength. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Privatize peace through strength. That's exactly what I believe in. But Ooh, it's like, that, hold up. Hold up. That, that's that's got to be on a T-shirt. That, that's that's got to be on a T-shirt or something, yeah, man. That's yeah, good. <laughs> if you don't take that, I'm going to. No, dude. We, we can both take it we can both use it man <laughs> privatize peace through strength but it's like the fact that i'm in the same category as tim pool or, or joe manchin the said the democrat from west virginia it's just insane man it's insane and it's, mm -hmm. it's such a it's a it's a bold strategy too because they make i mean especially from the libertarian perspective like these democrats are making trump sound so much more based than he really is 
Like Trump, yeah. like obviously we've prayed, you and I, guys like us have praised Donald Trump when he's been right about stuff and blasted him when he's been wrong about stuff. And there's been plenty of both, but it's like, they make him sound, I mean, they make him sound like this like libertarian hero or something, which is yeah, they make not him the sound case. like a it's much not... more big tent kind of guy than he's, than he really has been. Right. Is that what you're yeah. saying? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, um, it's just, it, it goes to show just how out of touch they are with absolutely everybody except for their very small, narrow, um, sort of freak show of intersectionality, uh, we might call it, right? Uh, they, they don't understand anything about what's in the world outside of a very narrow slice of the political spectrum or, or what exists within the, within their, their sort of, you know, razor-thin, dogmatic uh, point of view, right? Their, 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 uh, their index card of opinion, I wouldn't call it an index card of opinion, um, I would call it, I wouldn't call it a business card of opinion either, but you know, just something, whatever is smaller than an index card, you know, that's sort of their range of opinion. Right. And they don't understand anything that exists outside of that. Right. So, uh, what we're seeing here, uh, as far as, you know, the left's reaction to it, I don't know that I should be surprised, but I will say, I actually saw a couple of articles last night from like from reliable, reliably left-wing outlets actually praising Joe Rogan for this. So they weren't like, you know, overtly praising him, but they were kind of, uh, they, they were reporting on the story in a way that was kind of peachy, in a way that, that made you sort of feel inspired, uh, you know, by, by what Joe Rogan was doing. Um, surprise wasn't necessarily, you know, the first emotion that came to mind as I was reading a couple of articles on the story uh, yesterday. Uh, but uh, I, I would say, you know, uh, you know, I, it, I guess that, that's a, maybe I was as surprised as anybody to see, you know, the left finally just pivoting here certain elements of the left, at least, starting to praise Joe Rogan a little bit. Whenever I don't think I've, I had ever heard a leftist, like any leftist, like even a leftist on the street, say anything positive about Joe Rogan until yesterday. And then suddenly I'm seeing like, you know, a few, few uh, like leftist papers actually put out, I wouldn't call them puff pieces. They weren't quite that dramatic, but they were, they were certainly spinning it in a positive light and trying to say that what, trying to depict what Joe Rogan had done as a positive sort of thing, as something that was inspiring, as something maybe that other podcasters and other reporters uh, should start doing, right? Um, or, or maybe they felt like Joe, Ro- you know, Joe Rogan refusing to have Trump on his show was a, sort of an extension of, of Twitter and Facebook canceling him, right? Um, maybe, maybe they, maybe in a in, in a sort of cruel twist of fate, they felt like what Joe Rogan <laughs> had done was an extension of cancel culture, of the very sort of cancel culture which Joe Rogan swore to destroy, right? Uh, so, uh, you know, that was, it, it was, it was an interesting news cycle because like I said, I had never seen anybody like even some Joe blow off the street or some guy at a bar who identifies as some sort of left to say anything positive about Joe Rogan. Oh, and then yeah, I saw it in the headlines last night. It, it'll, they'll turn on Joe again. I mean, he'll have Michael Malice on the show. They'll talk about anarchism and sending governors to Guantanamo Bay and stuff like that. And then they'll be back out. They yeah, give it like five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like by the time we get off this show, they might have already turned on Joe Rogan again. Yeah, I mean he'll just post a picture on Instagram of an elk that he shot, and then it's all over again. You know, public. Uh, or, <laughs> or, or yeah, Stegosaurus one. or a Triceratops. Remember that <laughs> Steven Spielberg thing? <laughs> right. Oh my God! Can you believe this? This man shot this poor dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like the thing is the the hard left, like the journey. Like, man, I, I swear, like if there's one person that just, you know encapsulates the leftist position it's like taylor lorenz right it's like these Mm -hmm. ridiculous like feminist hard left liberal boxed wine drinking cat lady journalists that work for the washington post like they are like the id of the democratic party you Mm. know what i mean and it's like and but it's like 
they, they've gone so wacky with like the you know the the the, the extre- the leftist extremism culturally and and like economically obviously you know look at look at what they've done in the last couple of years but i mean it, you know they they they've turned into if you don't want to turn your kids trans and spend the money and spend the country back into the stone age then you're a trump supporter right mm-hmm. it's like okay well you're talking about 75 plus percent of the country you morons you know mm-hmm. what i mean like dude they lost hispanics like hispanic americans are not voting democrat anymore hispanics are about to vote Republican with a bare majority this year for the first time ever. I mean, that is, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I guess I should have looked this up, but I'm pretty sure in uh, in 2020, only like 20, 22 percent, something like that, of Hispanics voted for Donald Trump. I mean, <laughs> I mean, if they, right. if they whittled away 30 plus percent of Hispanics in two years, I mean, that is like mind blowing, man. And yep. I mean, it makes sense, though, all the, the wild partial birth abortion, abortion stuff, all the trans propaganda stuff. I mean, dude, Hispan- I mean, you know. Hispanic Americans, man, they're very conservative by nature. They're family oriented. They're mostly Catholic. You know what I mean? They don't want this nonsense. They don't want the critical race theory in schools. They don't want the trans flag in front of their right. church. I mean, they, they they just don't want this stuff. I just really think the Democrats have outkicked their coverage this time. Well, yeah, like so you had this description a minute ago that was just beautiful. I can't remember all the adjectives you threw out there. It was like, you know, the boxed <laughs> wine drinking, like cat lady white woman, right? Dude, like when, when you talk about that, you're talking about the most insufferable and yes. unlikable and unrelatable segment of, of American society, right? I yes. guess it's actually the Karen, right? Yes. You know, we, we have a term for this, right? So, like, you know, and you, you think about like, you know, the typical or maybe just the stereotypical Karen, right? She spends her existence at maybe three places, right? Uh, her house with her cat and her boxed wine, watching The View or, or you know, scrolling through Twitter. Um, she, you know, go, she goes to, she drops her kids off at school maybe or goes to the PTO meetings. And then she hangs out with other, you know, boxed, boxed wine drinking cat lady Karens from, from within her suburban neighborhood. You're talking about maybe the most boxed in and yes. insulated member of the American fabric. You, you, I mean, someone who doesn't, who their, their livelihood is so comfortable, they don't have to try and understand other, other slices of the American pie, right? They don't actually have to try and understand um, how other people live or are forced to live or the difficulties that they might have to face, right? So, I mean, no, none of this is surprising. I mean, you know, what, whatever the Karen choose to, to get upset about, you can predict it by seeing whatever Whoopi Goldberg or Joy Bear or Ellen DeGeneres has to say, right? And, you know, and that, that's or what MSNBC is talking about at any given time, right? It's not hard to predict what they're going to be outraged at next. They're, they're the most predictable and programmable people, uh, perhaps, in all of society. The NPC, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean they really so, are. Like, you know, yeah, yes, I'm so so you know none of this surprises me. I mean they but I mean they're really putting all their eggs into the basket of the most annoying people on the face of the earth. Oh yeah. It's just just not that's such a strange decision. You know what I mean? And think I mean you got you had somewhere Barack Obama sitting back like Holy crap, guys. Like I showed you guys how to win elections. And you people <laughs> are just the worst, you know what I mean? Like Obama like built this coalition of minorities and 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 people pissed off at Bush over all the wars and stuff like that. And obviously he started a whole bunch more wars and killed more people in Bush and, and all of that. And it was just it was a complete disaster, but it's he at least knew how to win elections, man. He knew how to build a coalition. And these people, I just I don't know, man. They're just you can deny reality as much as you want. You see all these like people getting like Jordan Peterson was just kicked off 
Twitter for calling a man a man or, or a woman a woman. I don't remember who. Yeah, well, I, don't I don't really know what that attention. was. Yeah, I don't. And it looks like he's back thing. on now too. Oh, I, like it looked like that was temporary. I don't know, maybe not, but it looked like he was tweeting again just a couple of days ago. Yeah, and like so, well, that's good. You know, I, I definitely like Jordan, but like, you know, that. The Democrats can deny reality as much as they want, but that doesn't make it so. <laughs> that doesn't make it true. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think they're really going to walk into a buzzsaw of reality in November, if, if I had to guess. But one, one more, before we move on, I, I do have to mention, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, it is unfortunate that we're not going to get Donald Trump on Joe Rogan. I mean, yeah. that would have been that would have been outstanding. I mean, all oh, Joe don't Rogan count does, it out of the picture yet. Yeah, you're right. Um, maybe the reason Joe Rogan doesn't want him on his show right now is because it looks like Trump may very well be running for reelection. And so like at this point, if Rogan were to have on Trump, you know, so first off, you know, Joe Rogan's justification for saying that he didn't want, you know, Trump on his show was that he didn't want to help him. Right. And I think, you know, that's actually what, what so many leftists were, you know, that I saw were impressed with, was that Joe Rogan openly said, just kind of shrugged his shoulders and said, I don't really want to help him, right? That's not to say Rogan is a Biden guy either, but Biden didn't want to do anything that would inadvertently help Trump, right? And yeah. that's what leftists were, were more or less uh, just, just kind of impressed with there. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that you know, we shouldn't count out the possibility that Rogan might have Trump on, like, in the distant future. Like, I'd say, dude, five or six years from now, if Trump's not like in the White House again, uh, you know, come 2024, um, I would say it, it, it's a possibility. You could actually have Trump on the Joe Rogan show, uh, you know, post presidency, whenever that may be. And Trump may reveal some crazy shit, you know, like you and I were talking about <laughs> last night about how JFK was assassinated by the CIA or oh, about, yeah, about the aliens. Right. You know, he wanted to build a wall around planet Earth to keep <laughs> the aliens out. You know, uh, like there's no telling what you might have revealed on Joe Rogan's show. Right. So or we were like five seconds away from actually buying Greenland from Denmark. Yeah. Just so, yeah like... so, so Trump could turn it into the world's biggest golf course. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like... You got it. You got to hold it's far 5,000. <laughs> the freezing cold. Yeah, man. And like, if for anybody that hasn't listened to Rogan's podcast, I'll, he's just, his interview style is great because he just tees guys up and lets them talk. You know, mm -hmm. he just kind of lets guys talk about whatever they want. He's not even really steering the conversation. He's just trying to get the most, like, interesting conversation out of his guests. And he gets a lot out of, like, guys that are shy, even. You know, like mm -hmm. more reserved kind of characters. He still gets like great conversations out of everybody, and old boy's got a mouth on him. Like if <laughs> Donald Trump, if Donald Trump is good at one thing, it is talking. Mm -hmm. And there's no way he could keep his big giant orange mouth shut for four hours. <laughs> like he would leak classified information. Oh he yeah, would, he'd expose war crimes by accident. Like he'd tell us that aliens or on are purpose. Real. Like or on purpose. You know, he'd blame the generals, you know what I mean? And But, like, dude, there's he would not control himself for four hours, and it would be fantastic. It's a crying well, you shame know, we're not getting out. What people love about Joe is that he, most of the time he doesn't steer that conversation like what you're talking about, but sometimes whenever he has to in order to get an interesting conversation out of somebody, he will. Like, sometimes, yeah. like, he, he, he will, like, drill down and ask a really tough question or really ask a person, you know, why they came to the conclusion that they did. Or you know, if, if there's like for here's a, it's a good example, right? The Candace Owen things that happened. Uh, it was Candace Owen's appearance on Joe Rogan happened a few years ago. I'm not sure if you remember that, but um, like the first 30 minutes, 35, 40 minutes were just so boring because it's this Candace Owen's talking about her history with like drinking alcohol and how she drank alcohol in high school stuff. Nobody wanted to hear from Candace Owen's. Right. Yeah, yeah. And then she gets into climate change. 
And so she says, I remember, I remember like, seeing the clip. Oh, I, I just, I just <laughs> don't believe in that, right? And then Joe Rogan's like, why? And he presses her on it, and she has no idea how to come back from it. Like she, she just shows she hasn't read the it was science. Bad. It was and bad. the entire, yeah. like the whole, like remaining hour and a half of the of the episode was just Joe and I think Jamie is the other guy's name. They're yeah. just pulling up like article after article, fact after fact, stat after stat, and Candace Owens is just like breaking down, right? Dude, uh, dude, so, read, yeah. read, read. But it was like it was worse than that because because Joe Rogan is such a nice guy. He wasn't even like trashing Candace Owens. He was just no. like he was like I I think what you mean to say is that like you don't believe that human activity is the leading driver behind mm-hmm. climate change. She's like, nope, I believe it's a hoax, and the climate has never changed. It's the same temperature every hour of the day, whether it's midnight or noon, Alaska or Mexico, every day. And it's like, well, okay, <laughs> what are we doing? Joe's like, I think like, he's trying to like throw her an escape rope, right? Like He's like, yep. I think what you mean <laughs> is that you know, scientists have overblown it, and you know it's not an existential threat. Not everybody's gonna die. She's like, nope, it's all. It's Joe Biden made it up, and it's you know, it's like Barack Obama, and it was like a total nightmare. But yeah, like he can't, he will push people on stuff a little. But it's like he does it in such like a nice guy kind of way too. Like he's never trying to embarrass anybody, but he's like, okay, I can't let you just sit here and lie on my show in front of mm-hmm. twelve million people. You know. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's what people like about him is that he's not a he's not a propagandist, right? He, he's no. an honest guy, right? And he's a person who's going to take the conversation in an interesting direction. So don't get me wrong, the stuff about aliens and JFK and the CIA from Trump—that'd be amazing. I'd kind of want to see Trump hit the hit the you know, hit the joint as well, right? Uh, like just to see like what comes out of Donald Trump's mouth whenever he's stoned, or to see if Donald Trump has ever done DMT. And Joe Rogan is the one podcast host on all of planet Earth who could make something like that happen, right? Uh, so, you know, but the bottom line with Joe is that he's going to he's going to uh, make an interesting conversation. Whether he just needs to sit back and let somebody else talk and riff and and share whatever is, is interesting. Or, or whether he needs to steer the conversation in that direction. I have the example also coming to my head of Jordan Peterson. We talked about him just a minute ago on Joe Rogan's podcast. This was like the first time he was on the show. And Jordan Peterson talks about the story of Pinocchio for 20 minutes. Now, I guarantee Jordan Peterson and Joe Rogan didn't plan ahead and say, let's talk about Pinocchio on my show. Now, how does that sound, Jordan? Yeah, that sounds great, Joe. Uh, but, you know, he just kind of let Jordan Peterson take it in an interesting direction. And before you know it, Jordan Peterson's actually making an interesting observation about this old, you know, folk story, right? There's the story of Pinocchio for crying out loud, you know, uh, something that you wouldn't necessarily expect to get something really profound and really interesting from. Uh, so that's what people like about Joe. And you know, so Joe's actually interesting. Maybe that's another reason why the Karens don't like him is because he's actually <laughs> interesting. And it, everything about their very existence is totally antithetical to interesting. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, man, the Obama coalition of betting on Jose and Jamal is a lot better than the modern uh, coalition of depending on Karen exclusively. I don't think it's. Gonna, well, you, I think it's going to. You made another interesting observation a minute ago that I got. I got to give you credit for. When you said that these people are like the id of of of, of, of the Democratic Party, right, or of the left. Yeah. Uh, but let's Ta- say maybe the Taylor oh, Lorenz. Taylor Lorenz is the right, of the right. Democratic Party. So if if we're going to think about this, you know, psychologically, maybe like you know the Karens are the id. Karl Marx is the ego. And the super ego is is Barack Obama, right? You know, like Barack Obama is is how they take you know the impulses of the id, the desires of the ego, and they blend it into a super ego, which is sort of socially acceptable, right? 
Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I couldn't help but just sort of think about that, you know, just a minute ago. Uh, but no, I would say, yeah, the id of the left, or the id of the Democratic Party, Taylor Lorenz, that was a, that was a pretty interesting little observation. There. Like I said, just had to give you a little bit of credit for that. I appreciate it. Hey, I'll, I'll never turn down credit. So, <laughs> so I appreciate that, buddy. Um, I, I do have to mention um, this Monmouth poll that came out yesterday. And Monmouth has not been a uh, historically like right-leaning poll. Um, Biden's numbers came out yesterday, uh, nationwide poll. They have Biden at 36% approval, 58% viewing his presidency unfavorably. That's brutal enough. And that went viral on Twitter. People are like, holy crap, the Democrats are freaking out, or at least they should be. <laughs> but the results are even more brutal when you, uh, when you later, if you read into the poll, um, if you look at voters answering the question, what is their top concern at the moment? Um, th this one it should have the Democrats crying in their coffee mug filled with boxed wine. And that is, uh, the respondents said inflation, 33%, gas prices, 15%, the economy, 9%. And it, it, there's a bunch of questions that all just mean the economy. And if you add all of those economic answers up, it's 65% of, of voters. Um, mm. Abortion is all the way down at 5%. COVID-19, oh, wow. 1%. Climate oh change, climate change, Read 1%. So Republicans are talking wow. about issues that matter to 65% of Americans. Democrats are talking about issues that matter to 7% of the population. That is brutal. Honestly, I don't think I've seen a disparity like that ever before. Yeah. Yikes. I mean, it's like they are just talking. The Democrats are just talking about crap that matters to Taylor Lorenz and the, the, the coastal elites, the journalist class, right. and no one else. So you mean to say that the Republicans are, are literally, you know, relating to nine times as many people as the Democrats <laughs> yes. are yes. going into an election. So and COVID-19 is all the way down at one percent. So that's insane. Yeah. I'll say that, um, that there were polls that came out back in early February that indicated that uh, inflation was actually the number one issue to Americans back then as well. Yeah, I don't like remember. Four, it's like four percent. It's almost nine percent now. Wow. Okay. Well, that yeah, that's insane. Yeah, it was it was inflation, and actually, uh, war was was like the number three issue uh, because of what was happening with Afghanistan, right? Um, right. I'm sorry, it was Afghanistan and then, and then Ukraine, right? So foreign policy actually kind of made its way, you know, uh, you know, on, onto the average American's radar, you know, for a little bit earlier this year, but that really seems to have subsided, you know, at least according to the Monmouth t you know, statistics that you just shared. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm not at all surprised to see, you know, this because. It's, you know, even whenever I log out of my Twitter account and I go into like a burner Twitter account that I've created, and I, which is completely and totally apolitical, and I'm scrolling through Twitter, like inflation is consistently like, you know, like one of the top trends, right? Hashtag inflation on Twitter. So, you know, people are people are talking about it. People are worried about it. Now, that's why, like I've been telling other people and just to put my libertarian hat back on, I've been talking to other people within the Ron Paul movement. Damn it, if you're serious about ending the wars and ending the Fed, like 2022 is your year to be talking about this. Yes. Like this is like yes. inflation. Like what more could you ask for than inflation, the Federal Reserve being the number one news cycle for months? So if we don't properly capitalize on this and actually like wake some people up, I don't know that that we'll ever really be able to. Right. Um, so, you know, that doesn't surprise me. Uh, you know, anything that you're saying here. Um, but you said there was inflation. There were a couple of other economic uh, sub areas. And what were those, Brady? Um, it was gas prices, housing, gas prices. Uh, the price of housing, rent and mortgages. Um, 
yeah, in inflation, food costs, economic generally, but all that, all that, that's all just the economy. So that all adds yeah. up to over over sixty five percent. Wow. Well, you know, so um, you know, that's that's pretty telling. But I'll tell you, back in June, uh, I was actually working uh, on the ground. So I, I live in Mississippi nowadays. I no longer live in Texas. I live I live here in Mississippi now, which is where I grew up, and uh, I actually work at the voting locations. Uh, on election day, uh, that's part of what I do. It's it's really just kind of volunteer work that I do to just sort of you know give back to the community because let's face it, most of the folks around here who do that kind of thing are old folks, you know. So I've been doing that. Um, obviously, I'm not going to give away any information I shouldn't. Uh, just from being a, a precinct worker, uh, actually working at the voting locations and you know help, you know running the machines and stuff like that. But just something that I have sort of felt. As I have watched, you know, these last couple of elections take place over the over the last couple of months, is that yes, while Republicans are going to be energized by the zeitgeist, short, sort of temporarily shifting in their favor, um, they have a problem on their hands, and that's that Republican, you know, the, the trust in the system among Republican voters is the lowest that I have ever seen it in my lifetime. I can't really say whether it's the lowest uh, that that there has been in previous decades, previous generations, that means prior to me. But I have seen, like I'm talking with so many voters who have absolutely zero trust in the system. Like they have absolutely zero trust that their vote is going to be counted, that their vote matters, uh, that, 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 you know, that they're going to have a fair shake at actually getting like, you know, conservative reforms actually passed, that they're actually going to have a fair shake at things like, like cutting taxes or, or whatever else. Right. Um, even after like, you know, what happened with the Supreme Court a couple of weeks ago, like just a hundred years of Supreme Court precedent happening in about 12 hours. Right. And all of it was in favor of conservatives. I still sense so much cynicism in the system at the very least it's at the federal level right now. I mean, I'm sure it trickles down. Maybe people are equally cynical with the state level of government and the local level of government. But for the most part, what I'm seeing is with the national level. And I bring that up because that's kind of what we're talking about with these Monmouth polls. I'm assuming this Monmouth, this Monmouth poll was there to, in a sense, try to predict the outcome of the of the, of the national elections uh, in November, right? So, I, uh, I I'm, I'm there's so much cynicism among Republican voters now, and that's because, quite frankly, they feel like the last election was stolen. And I'm going to be honest with you, I'm inclined to agree with them, right? There were just so many disparities with with with, the, with that election night. I'm not, you know, I, I'm not even, you know, speaking on behalf. Uh, like in favor of one candidate or against another. Um, I'm just making sort of a, an observation that, that I've extrapolated um, over a pretty long period of time here. And, and but you know, getting back to this, this stuff with the polls here, the, you know, these people are cynical. Like they feel like their vote doesn't count. They feel like nothing that they do matters. They've completely lost faith in the system as libertarians or people who are perhaps even anarchist or anarchist adjacent. Maybe that's something that strategically we should be capitalizing a little bit more effectively but that's just what I'm seeing. And all that's very anecdotal, Brady. I'm not going to like you know, submit that like, like that's equally valuable as this Monmouth polling data, which I'm sure has a very, you know, has a very legitimate methodology behind it. But just my anecdotal experience that I'm getting from working, um, you know, working these voting machines in these voting locations in the reddest district in, in the country, Mississippi District 4 is tied with Texas District 17 for the reddest congressional districts in the country. That's just what I'm saying is people are like angry and they're and they're they're disenchanted, they're disillusioned and they're cynical. 
I think you're absolutely right about the fertile ground we are standing on right now in terms of spreading the message of liberty. I mean, we are—Americans are waking up every day looking at the gas prices, looking at their bank account, looking at their 401k, and being punched in the beak with clear and obvious proof that Ron Paul was right and the Federal Reserve should be dismantled. That that is just the facts on the ground. They're living with that reality— punching them in the chest every single morning when they look at the prices. Okay, so like if if we can't convince people now, then I don't know when we will ever be able to. And it honestly we're just scratching the surface. Like we we have inflation's going to get worse. We are in a recession, you know. I once quarter two numbers come out, it'll be confirmed. But I look, if you're if you're paying 550 a gallon for gas, you're already in a recession. <laughs> sorry mm-hmm. to break, sorry to break it to you. I'm not really concerned with these will we or won't we enter a recession conversations. I think that's irrelevant. Right. We're already there. But I mean, look, and and people are going to be hurting. And I want to, and I'll uh, just a little. I, I my uh, family member of mine is a, is a banker, and I asked him because I, I bought me and my wife bought a new house um, in March 2021, which was when the uh, in mortgage interest rates were at all time lows. It was like 2.75 percent. And uh, I, I have a buddy who is closing on his new place today, and his rate is uh, is 5.75 percent, up three points, right? To try to the, the Fed's been raising rates to try to combat inflation a little bit. It's not going to work. Spoiler alert! But uh, you know, people are paying a lot more for homes, and I uh, I was like I couldn't quite figure out the math in my head, so I texted my my banker buddy, and I was like, hey, you know, because I'll just be honest, my, my the loan at my house is for 100 grand, right? Like 100 grand even. I was like, for a $100,000 loan, what's the actual dollars and cents difference in what I would be paying if I bought my house today versus March 2021 when I bought the new place? And he crunched the numbers, and this is what it came out to. In interest, I would be paying an additional an additional $176 per month, $2,100 per year, or $63,360 over the course of the 30-year fixed loan. That's just Jesus. with a 3% increase on a hundred thousand dollar mortgage most people have a bigger house more expensive house than i do okay most people's mortgages are more than mine and a lot of people are gonna be paying eight nine percent interest rates here coming soon so i'm telling you people are going to start feeling it if they haven't already people are going to really start that's a lot of money man even for me 176 bucks that's what that's a grocery bill every two weeks you know what i'm saying yeah that's that's not nothing Mm -hmm. okay 63 grand over the course of the loan that's a couple new cars, okay? Yeah, that's a that's, life insurance policy, man. Ex- exactly. That's not nothing. So, like, we're just scratching the surface here, man. Unfortunately, I mean, I wish, you know, I, I wish I saw some silver linings here economically. But, uh, unfortunately, you know, look, as libertarians, as, as Ron Paul, you know, kind of libertarians, it's always great when we're wrong. Right. Like, I love being wrong. Right. If, if we're wrong, yep. that means things are going better than we anticipate. But I just you guys like you and I have been right quite a bit lately. And that's not great. Well, and something that you and I have talked about in previous conversations is that, you know, one of my main strategic foci uh, is trying to trying to to carry, you know, the, the ideas that Ron Paul spoke about years ago to to greater, more mainstream conservative audiences. Right. Yes. Uh, just you know, because I think that obviously that, that's the most fertile ground, so to speak. That's the demographic ideologically that we have to win over and get to realize we were right. Are the, are the, the kinds of people who voted for Donald Trump, you know, people who are just uh, like, you know, party line Republican voters, uh, you know, working class, middle class kind of folks, right? Just conservatives, you know. Um, I bring that up because this morning, Breitbart of all, I mean, I'm talking about Breitbart, dude. Right. Andrew Breitbart's outlet, okay? Steve Bannon, Inc. put out an article 
you know, actually talking about how Ron Paul predicted all of this. Uh, yeah. I, actually, I'm going to pull this up in a separate window. Hold on a second. Um, title. Ron, <coughs> sorry. Ron Paul. What we're facing today, a lot worse than the Depression, comma, recent downturns. And there's actually a clip from the Ron Paul Liberty Report uh, in the top of it. And the article is just talking about how Ron Paul predicted all of this. And this is Breitbart, dude. Uh, so like yeah. I'm not one of these people like it's not my top priority that people understand that Ron Paul was right. Like my top priority is actually helping folks like people like you, for example, who are paying that extra hundred and seventy six dollars a month. That's that's insane. That's tragic. You know, and that that's a direct result of the Federal Reserve. Right. Yeah. Uh, and they're they're stupid quantitative easing inflationary policies. But. You know, people are starting to see that, you know, what we've been talking about with a gold standard, with, with the need for honest money, with a rejection of quantitative easing and, and Keynesian economics, um, people are beginning to see that there's merit in that. This isn't just something that that's, um, you know, that, that, that only Ron Paul and the very, you know, small cadre of people surrounding him have been talking about. This is economic reality that people are facing. But th there was something about the Federal Reserve that I, I've got to point to real quick. It has happened just a couple of days ago. So Jerome Powell is probably the most disastrous Federal Reserve chair we've ever had in history. And that is saying a lot. And what's interesting about him is yeah. that nobody, whether it's just, you know, the, the far left Keynesians, the people who are even further left than the Keynesians, um, whether it's, you know, uh, the monetarists or the Austrians, is what Jerome Powell is selling, right? No, like nobody believes a word that he says. Like, so you see the left constantly attacking Jerome Powell because he's not going far enough. They want a Federal Reserve, you know, that addresses stupid issues like like climate change and violence among women and whatever else, right? E you know, they want a, a sort of activist yeah. Federal Reserve, right? Right. They want an equity Federal Reserve, an activist to like an intersectional you know Federal Reserve, right? The people who dislike Jerome Powell on the right. Uh, they dislike him for the opposite reason. He's gone entirely too far. That's, that's you know, putting it mildly. But just a couple of days ago, um, it was The Hill reported on something that Jerome Powell had said. I believe it, this was like last Thursday, maybe last Wednesday even. Um, Jerome Powell talked about how there are there are forces that we don't understand at work. Right. He talks <laughs> yeah. about how there are. He said and he says he doesn't he doesn't know whether we're going to be able to go back to the economy that we had before, or even anything close to it. Now, Klaus Schwab, you know, he's just grinning and smiling. Good job, Jerome, you have done well, you know. Uh, but, you know, Jerome Powell, what he's doing is something that, that Frederick A. Hayek actually rightfully pointed to in several of his writings. He talks about animal spirits, right? Yep. Whenever the, the central planners, whether they're Keynesians or whether they're the Federal Reserve or some other central bank, this is really irrespective of whatever country they're in, but whenever the central pl planners get it wrong, they blame it on these animal spirits, which he somewhat comically, uh, you know, uses as an analogy, right? There are invisible forces at work. We just can't understand why all this is happening, even though we're inflating literally 100% of the currency uh, from a printing press, which I can get to in 10 minutes. <laughs> um, you know, it's, you know, so there are the, this is something that even F.A. Hayek was able to predict over half a century ago. This isn't new right here. But it's just it's so insane that these people are ruining our livelihoods. They're ruining our existence. They're bankrupting us. They're, they're spending us back to the Stone Age, as you very aptly put it a little while ago. And they're actually you know, they tried to blame it on several things. They tried to blame it first on climate change. There were a couple of articles back in February. Right. 
It's, uh, you know, climate change is responsible for inflation. <laughs> we have to tackle climate change with more inflation to solve the inflation that's being caused by climate change. But after that didn't work, then, of course, they tried to blame Putin, right? After people didn't buy that, then they tried to blame us, right? They says, well, inflation's actually your fault because you're too materialistic and you spend too much money and you're not saving too much. If you would save more money, we wouldn't have all this inflation, right? And now... I think they're finally throwing in the towel and realizing after you know several months of not effectively blaming it on any one thing, they're saying effectively, to hell with it. We don't know what's causing it. These are invisible forces. I think they realize they have spent all their opportunities to blame it on all these different real world phenomena that they have to fabricate an imaginary phenomena yeah. uh, in order to, to blame it on, right? Uh, and so yeah, that's just that's, that's what's so fascinating to me is – they're not just blaming it on invisible forces in order to try and deflect blame uh, from themselves. They're actually trying to establish a justification for completely upheaving our economy, upheaving our economy and our way of life going into the future. And, and, and they're going to try and blame it. And whenever people reject the kind of dystopian economic vision they want to hurl us into, they're going to blame it in retrospect on things that don't even exist. They thought for the longest time, and they kept that bullet in their back pocket for way, way too long. They always thought, arrogantly enough, that, you know, hey, if worse comes to worse, we can always just jack up rates. And they waited, and they waited, and they waited. They kept rates, you know, artificially low for decades. And then, uh, you know, when they finally started raising rates, it was too little too late, and uh, inflation was the inflationary spiral was too far gone, and— and now they're trying to play this middle, <laughs> this, you know, this middle of the road strategy where they're never going to do what they did in 1980, 1981. I mean, they jacked the Fed funds rate up to 20 percent. Like mortgage rates were like 18.75. Yep. Like there's no political will to, to do that, to raise rates to the point that would actually right. stop inflation. So all they're going to do is ruin the housing market, make it so young people can't buy a house and also let inflation ruin the economy. I mean, it's like the, just the absolute worst of both worlds. And, you know, it's just, you know, and I it, we can end with this. I, I'll, I'll let you go. I know we're over time. But, you know, and I, I hate saying this. I try not to say this over and over on the podcast because I know we just annoy people when we talk like this, Reed. But, I mean, just the fact that Ron Paul will go down in history as this tragic character who warned us. I mean, he warned the country. It didn't, like, we did not have to go through the pain that we're going through now and will go through for the next three to five years at least. This could have been avoided. We could have audited the Fed in 2008. Not, not even in the Fed. We could have audited the Fed. We could have tried to rein these monsters in in 2008 or 2012. We didn't. Right. The, the American people didn't have the stomach for it. They didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to hear the hard truths and look where we are. Yeah, sometimes when people are warning you, sometimes when somebody is telling you to read the writing on the wall, you should stop what you're doing and listen. We didn't listen. The country didn't listen. Um, and it's a shame. It's a shame. I mean, everything. when you're paying $5 for gas, if you see your neighbor's house get foreclosed on, just know it didn't have to be this way, and it's the Federal Reserve's fault. Well, you know, with commentary like that, I guess I would just try to point to what Dr. Paul himself might actually say. And I have a feeling he would tell us to be more optimistic uh, than we are. That's true. Um, That's fair. You know, he, That's he's, fair. Talked pretty, pretty, he's talked pretty extensively about, about you know, being, being an optimist. It's important to be optimistic no matter what. you got to be a happy liberty warrior. Is how I heard him put it one time. We have to be happy liberty warriors, uh, no matter what. Um, you know, uh, I think you know the, all the, the these dark times they very much come cyclically. You know, these are fleeting. You know, they're temporary. They can that doesn't mean they're not difficult. It doesn't mean they're not horrible for a lot of people. Uh, that but that does mean that they are temporary, right? So 
Uh, we, we have we have to try to be optimistic uh, no matter what. I think if, if we if we show you know cynicism and pessimism uh, you know too often, then that's going to actually discourage people. Uh, I think from from coming to our side. Uh, you know, so you know, we have to be optimistic. We have to be realistic. We have to explain to people, look, you know, things are about to get really difficult for you. Uh, you're about to undergo a second depression. It's going to be really horrible. Uh, you know, you need to think about ways to protect yourself, protect your family, and financially uh, and otherwise. Uh, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, we have to be optimistic and we have to give people a solution here, right? And that's that. You know, maybe maybe the best solution is that uh, through all the pain and suffering and hardship that people are going to uh, suffer here soon. Maybe they'll learn and maybe there'll be a period after that where we'll say uh, never again, never again with the failed uh, quantitative easing Keynesian policies uh, that bankrupted the, the, the 20th uh, and, and the first quarter or so of the 21st century. You know, we're, we're going to move on to, to honest money. Uh, we're going to move on to we're, we're going to move on to, to something uh, smarter, more commonsensical uh, and that's actually sustainable. Absolutely. If not now, then when? You know, we uh, I think we are at a, a tipping point in this country. And, and you're right. I think we are standing on fertile ground for, for spreading the message of liberty. And, uh, and you're right. I mean, look, Dr. Paul, you know, he always obviously has been a, a happy warrior for liberty. I mean, the man a couple years ago, I mean, it was a, it was very uncomfortable to watch. I mean, the man had a stroke on air on his program. Um, and was back on air with right. a smile on his face, laughing and smiling and talking about freedom like 48 hours later. You know, you just can't stop this guy. I, I don't know. I, he's got to be approaching 90 at this point if he isn't already 90. Um, but, yeah, it's a uh, yeah, it, you're absolutely right. We can all follow in, in Ron Paul's footsteps and, and remain optimistic even in the face of all of this. uh uh, everything we've mentioned in the first 40 minutes of this podcast, all the nonsense going on. But, Reed, my brother, it's always a good time talking to you, man. Uh, I'm sure we'll do it again soon. Where can, or where can everybody follow you online? Uh, keep in touch. Read your stuff. All that good stuff. Yeah, so two good places to find me. Uh, one is on my Twitter page. Uh, the handle is at jreedcooley, J-R-E-E-D-C-O-O-L-E-Y. But there's actually a new and upcoming social media platform, uh, Sovereign, S-O-V-R-E-N. You can find me on there. It's just my name, uh, Reed Cooley. Everybody follow Reed. He's great. And everybody stay tuned. We can't mention anything yet, but Reed will have some big news coming later on this year. Everybody stay posted for that. Uh, That's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Monday. No gimmicks.